Um, it is lovely to be with you this morning for Vision Sunday. Just want to extend my welcome to you. If this is uh, perhaps your first time with us, um, or even if it's not, it's so great to have you with us. And today is Vision Sunday, as you've just heard. And Vision Sunday is our yearly opportunity as a church family to look ahead and just lift our eyes from the day to day and just think, where is it and what is it that God wants us to prioritize this year? Who does he want us to be? Since we planted the church four and a half years ago, we have always desired and always talked about ourselves as a family following Jesus. That uh, This is our aspiration. We want to be a, a family. We want to be genuine community, having rich relationships with each other, sharing our lives, bearing one another's burdens. But not just community for community's sake, but that we believe all of this happens as we live in this shared desire of, of a fixed where we're headed together goal of we just want to follow Jesus and go wherever he takes us. And so we prioritize him, we submit to him, we come under his authority, follow him in our individual lives, whatever that looks like. And as a family, we gather together and and we say, we're going to go wherever you want to take us, Jesus. So Vision Sunday is just an opportunity for us to think, okay, what does that look like for us this year? And as we look forward, it's also a good moment, I think, to look back And to just think of and reflect on how far God has already brought us as a family. And I think it just helps us get a bit of faith for, oh, we really can trust in his leadership. We can trust where it is that he's taking us. And if you were around last year, you might remember that I shared a message from Isaiah chapter 54 and the picture of the tent. Um, Let me just remind you of some of those verses from Isaiah 54. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And we're not going to look at these verses in particular in in much detail, but I just wanted to remind us as a family of these verses because I think we'll continue to return to them over the coming years as what I think is just a really helpful uh, and I think prophetic picture that God has spoken to us as a family of this is who I want you to be, this is what, uh, what, what I'm doing amongst you and will continue to do amongst you. This kind of picture of a tent, this dynamic that it sets up that as we as a people are faithful, in strengthening the, the stakes and we, we strengthening the poles and, if you like, the infrastructure of the, the tent, then as we do that, God will be the one that stretches us out. He'll enlarge the place of our tent. He'll take us into new territory as a people. And I think this has certainly been what we've seen this year. As we have strengthened, as we've done things like um, expanding our staff team, um, which came as a result of the amazing offering that we took up this time last year and the ongoing faithful giving of this church. Just want to thank you for that um, of so many in this church. We launched six new home groups this year as a a real sign of strengthening that forms the the core of our community life, as Matt was just talking about, um, and seeing a bunch of new leaders released into that. As we have done those things of kind of strengthening who we are, we have seen God stretch us out. This has been a new year, a year where we've seen God doing new things amongst us. He's taken us into new territory with our youth that you've just heard about that's now in the room. Great to have you with us. But this was something that didn't really exist in our church this time last year. And God's just like out of nothing breathed something into existence, this new ministry. We've had our first Alpha course where we've seen a dozen, half a dozen or so new people 
coming along each week, exploring the gospel, seeing what that might mean for them. We've got this uh, growing partnership with the charity Barnabas that um, looks to meet the needs of homeless people in the, in the city. And we found a way of being able to, we're, we're partnering them. We're going to be one of the first churches in the city to be partnering with them in this new Sustain project that they're launching, this great project to be able to um, walk alongside some of the people that they know. And of course, we've been able to baptize six people. Now, I want that number to go up. I want that number to be bigger. But at the same time, looking forward to the 12th of March this year, where we're going to be able to do it. If you're interested, please do get in touch. We'd love to baptize you. But at the same time, I'm pretty happy with six people baptized this last year. Praise God. And I also had not realized and fully appreciated just how much our family has grown over the last year until I saw the numbers this week. In this year, this calendar year so far, we've had about 110 adults um, regularly attending, if you count people in here and the kids' workers as well. And then, of course, on top of that, you've got um, the kids themselves and the youth, et cetera, et cetera. And that represents about a 50% growth in our church over the last year alone which I just hadn't seen. And we are now made up of over 35 different nationalities. 35! Isn't that... That's just, that's just cool. Like, it's just great to have a diverse family together and seeing what God's done. And then, of course, there's the stuff that's just so much harder to quantify that you can't really distill into statistics. But just seeing people coming alive in their faith and the hunger for God when we gather together in times like this and in other spaces and seeing just pockets of community forming and there's just life and there's health all over the place. And I share all of that just really to give us a sense of, look what God is doing amongst us. This really is God. That is doing it. Yeah, he invites us in as people to, to co-labor with him, but it's him that has, he started this off, he breathed it into existence, and it's him that has authored it, continues to author it. He is at work. And I believe we really are just getting going. We're just a short part of the way into our journey. And in order for us to keep getting hold of all that he has for us and stepping into it, I want to share this morning, just very briefly, one particular area that I think that we need to strengthen in this year as a church, And then the bulk of what I want to speak on is really on who we are. So this message isn't really so much of a kind of directional, this is where we're going, and this is what we're going to, this is this is where we're planning to, this is what we're planning to do and specifics. But instead, this is this is really who we are and who we need to be if we are to fulfill God's call over us. And so I'm hopeful that this will just give us uh, perhaps a bit of a sense of perspective and a bit of uh, a fresh vision for what does it mean for us to actually be a church family that will perhaps just help refresh us in that. Uh, And so my plan really this morning is to just lay a bit of a foundation stone for that that we'll then continue to refer back to, continue to build upon and draw on this idea that I'll share through future messages, even teaching series that we'll do, and we'll just keep talking about it through the year. But let me begin first with a particular area that I think we need to strengthen this year, and that is our leadership. Since the very beginning of the church, we've always wanted to operate in a kind of team leadership as our ongoing leadership of the church, rather than just having one person that's leading things. And aside from like the pragmatic reasons behind that, where most healthy organizations that you see these days do operate in team leadership, it is biblical. Pretty much every example of leadership that you'll find in the church, you hardly ever read about a leader of a church, but you'll often read about in the book of Acts or in the the letters in the New Testament, you'll read about leaders of a church, plural, 
and you'll read about individuals who are obviously operating in leadership capacity. Even Paul, when he's doing his thing and he's going around planting churches, he's always doing it in team. He's always looking to draw people in and do it so that he's not alone. It just seems like there's wisdom in healthy leadership being done in team. And as we grow pretty quickly as a church, it just seems like the right time for us to have team leadership going forward. And so alongside our trustees team, which has been in place now for uh, nearly three years, and our staff team that I mentioned before, we are now going to have a leadership team. That is our plan, working alongside those two other teams. And so today, I just want to briefly introduce you to our plan for who that team will be, um, give a bit of a timeline for that team coming into place. And then the next two Sundays, I'm going to do a bit more teaching on it, just to help us just have plenty of time to go into some detail. So... Here is the plan for who our leadership team is going to be. It is going to be Bethany Cox, Matt Patterson, me, and Robin Cox. And this team really is going to exist to take responsibility for the overall health of the church and to make sure, essentially, that we stay as a church that is keeping on track in all that God is calling us into and that we will be a family following Jesus, to kind of discern together what is God's call over us as a family? What's he leading us into, uh, praying into that, and then making decisions that we think will best help us get there? Um, of course, teams need leaders. It often helps to have a leader within a team. And so I'll continue to function in that capacity as lead pastor, um, as, as I have been since the beginning. But the dynamic is definitely going to be shifting to one very much of team working together. That me as a team leader, I will just be one voice within that team as we look to work together. And with different models of how churches are led and the involvement of men and women within that being something that I think has probably been debated since the very first church was planted, I think that's why it's helpful for us to have two Sundays coming up to where we can lay out some of our biblical convictions behind this that has led us to having a joint team of men and women working together and how we believe in that, that, that calling of God to, for men and women to work together. But also we want to hold to the distinctiveness of man and woman and how they bring different things to the table. So we'll get into that more detail in the next couple of weeks, but I hope that that will be helpful for us. And then the plan is on the 28th of May we'll have a Sunday where we officially appoint the team. And so the reason for the gap of a few months is really to give us, we'll have some guests come in from, from other churches and, uh, and they'll pray for us and be with us in that. But we want to give plenty of time to be able to share it and then give everybody time to process it, kind of come to terms with it, have conversations, uh, listen to any feedback, all of that sort of stuff, without it all feeling like a bit of a rush. And so this is kind of the plan that we're laying out, but hopefully you'll be able to... Um, be able to talk into it. And over the next few months, we'd love to hear any of your comments, feedback, questions, anything you've got, basically. We'd love to be able to hear from you. I really want to commend these three other people to you. They are outstanding examples within our church family of Christ-like leadership, of people who are willing to give themselves for the benefit of the whole. And they have proven themselves over a long time of being people of sacrificial giving, servant-heartedness, wanting to devote themselves to the church, give time to the church, uh, pray for the church, love the church, all of those things. 
And I'd love to encourage you, if you know them or if you don't, to, to go and find these guys and just say, encourage them and thank them. It's one of those things that um, it's voluntary, so they're not going to get paid for this. And it just takes up more of your time and your thoughts and, um, uh, uh, than you might think. And is of course, a big responsibility. I know these guys, they're not stepping into it lightly and would really value your encouragement. Final thing on it just for now, and one thing I want to, to kind of underline is that this is the team that we're going to be starting with. I think that the reality is every configuration of leadership in churches is always going to be imperfect to a degree. But I think we as a team, we'd want to acknowledge this team that we're starting with really isn't the finished article. I have every confidence that the team that we're, we're going to be appointing is going to do an amazing job of serving the church and for all of the reasons I've just said and is going to be far better, far healthier than the current structure that we have of leadership. And at the same time, as we've just referenced, we are a church of huge diversity of many different cultures and backgrounds and ages and nationalities and all of that sort of stuff. And so it is already for us an active priority to be growing the team soon and to be looking to reflect more of who we are, to have more women involved in the team and have more people from different ages and cultural backgrounds and all of those things. So I want you to know this is the team we're looking to begin with, but we want to see it expand and grow as a, as a priority for us. So I hope that kind of gives you a good broad understanding of, of the team. Do come and find me. Of course, I'll be talking about it over the next couple of Sundays, but we'd love to hear from you. And this is, I think, a really good, healthy step forward for us. But while leadership is important, and it's good to give it some thought and try and get it right, I want to spend some time for the rest of our, our Vision Sunday looking at how God's vision for his church, it goes far beyond having good leaders in place, or even having excellent leaders in place, that he desires a church where everybody that is involved in it is called into uh, an opportunity to, to have real responsibility and have a real impact on the church and carry real uh, authority within it. And so to look at this, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. And so you can turn there in your Bible if you have one. The words that we'll look at will appear on the screen in a moment. And in the lead up to what Peter is sharing here, he is writing to encourage these Christians on who they are in Christ. He's just in chapter 1 been talking about uh, and describing the new life that they now have, so how they have been changed and formed into people completely different, um, and so the, the life of God that is at work in all of them. And now, in chapter 2, what he's doing is describing who they are together as the church and how they are to grow up into maturity. And we're going to pick it up in verse 9 in 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are, Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is one of those stunning descriptions of what church life looks like. You're a chosen race. You're a, ho a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There's so much you can say on each of these. Today, I want us to focus on what Peter's saying here of you are a royal priesthood. Probably most of us um, are not we don't come into daily, everyday contact with a priesthood in the life that we live. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe your company doesn't have a board of directors. It just has a priesthood that runs it. 
Probably for most of us, though, regardless of our background, and some of us may be stronger than others, we do have some kind of picture in our head when we hear the word priest. We think of maybe a, a religious figure, and that maybe immediately what springs to mind is someone who's meant to be special, someone who's got some kind of different access into God and is, is kind of set apart from the rest of the people. Perhaps I think the most common shared cultural touch point, if you like, that we might have when thinking of the idea of a priesthood is, you know, when they need to select a new pope and you see the images on the TV of all of the kind of top guys from the Catholic Church, they're going into the Vatican and they're going into this secret room where they all enter in and then the door gets locked and they are locked in, no one else can come in and they are not allowed to come out until a new pope has been decided and then when they have, the white smoke comes up out of the roof. And for us on the outside, it's just the most kind of mysterious, secret, elusive process of like, what is going on? And it feeds into this idea, I think, of a, of a church being a place where there's, a, there's an exclusive group. There is uh, uh, operating in a bit of secrecy. They're the set apart. And in that room where they are, that is where the real important business of church is happening. That's the stuff. That is, to steal a line from Hamilton, that is the room where it happens. And for us, on the outside, we don't really get in on that room. That room is not a place that we go into. And this kind of idea of priests being the one that do the real stuff, and they're the set-apart ones, is kind of the idea that Peter is drawing on here from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the role of priest was a very exclusive role in the nation of Israel. They, to even be in, with a shot of being a priest, you had to be a Levite, so just one of, the tribe, one of the 12 tribes, you had to be a member of that, and you had to be male in order to even be considered for it. And so only a very small proportion of the people got in the priesthood. And it was these priests, these people, they were the only ones that got to serve in the tabernacle or the temple later on. The place that, as we actually looked at last week, the place where God was, the place where his glory filled, that he'd made for himself to come and dwell. These priests, these set-apart ones, these were the only ones who could come into this place, chosen by God to have access to him, to have proximity to him, and to be in the same environment of God. And if you spent any time looking at the job description of priests in books like Leviticus and other books, you will know that the role of priests in the Bible is complex and long and, and quite convoluted to many of our modern ears. But a simple description of what it is that they do is that the job of priests was to bring the people to God and God to the people. And so they performed all of the rituals of doing that. They performed all of the rituals that brought man and God together. They did the, the, the spilling of blood, the shedding of blood from the animals to atone for sin. They gave up the burnt offerings that then the, the aroma would rise up and rise up to be a pleasing smell to God that the people could know we are not only forgiven by God, but that he is for us and he loves us. They would administer the fellowship offering, the offering of a meal to be shared in the presence of God. As you can probably imagine, the role of priests at this time was a role of real honor and privilege. They've been chosen by God to be the select group, to be close to him, to do this job that is absolutely essential for the healthy functioning of this nation. They were the only ones who got to come and do God's work, to be 
doing God's work among God's people, they were in the room where it happens and they were doing the real business. I mean, it must have been pretty great to be a priest in these times. Like while all of your kind of non-priest pals are just out there, like, oh, you're in the outer courts, are you? I'll just sort of stroll on past and go into the holy place, God's chosen guy, to do God's work. I mean, it must have been pretty neat. A privilege, but also a real responsibility to carry. To be a priest was to step into this role where the spiritual health of the nation was dependent on you and the other priests. That's got weight to it. If they didn't do their job, it wasn't just them that would suffer, but it was the whole nation. The whole nation would miss out on God. I mean, that is a consequence for missing your alarm in the morning, isn't it? This job that they did was not to just look holy and write a few sermons, say a few blessings, but the job of a priest was an active job. This was proper, like, get, your ha- get involved, get your hands dirty kind of stuff. Each day they had to get up and slaughter animals and throw the blood on the altar. Sorry if you're squeamish. And they cut the meat up and get, burn the offerings and haul around the grain. I mean, this, this was not just a spiritual position that they were occupying. This was a job, a vocation that they had to do. Time, energy, effort. And it was only through the priests serving in this very active, very hands-on kind of way that the whole people would flourish and move into deep, excuse me, deeper relationship with God. I guess that the point I'm trying to hammer home here is that the whole spiritual life of this nation was completely dependent upon these priests, upon them doing their job, saying yes to this call that God had put on their life and serving the spiritual needs of the people. And now, over a thousand years after this priesthood was first established, after God's people had come into a whole new era in the birth of the church, so much was so different, Peter then writes and says, I want you to know you are a royal priesthood. And notice he's not saying the priesthood now, completely abolished. Not doing that anymore. Just forget about it. That was old hat. No, he's saying priests are still required in the kingdom of God. We're not moving on from priests. But he's not mapping it on to just a different group of very exclusive people, like left-handers, you are now our priests. Or, you know, if your surname begins with D, congratulations, you are now our priests. Or if you can ride a bike with no hands, we're going to do auditions outside in the back, let's find out who our priesthood is. Now instead, he is blowing this thing wide open. He writes to this church and says, you are priests. And when you first read this, you might think, this must have been some church. They're all priests. This church must have been just absolutely stacked with gifting and experience and expertise. Peter must have loved this church. But actually, as he writes, we realize Peter doesn't even know them. He's not just right into this church. This is a letter that would go out to many churches. You read it in the opening to the letter. It goes out to churches in, uh, in, in Galatia and Bithynia and Cappadocia, like massive regions and dozens of churches covered off. Most of these churches Peter's never been to, doesn't know any of them, couldn't tell you like, what their logo was or anything like that. And yet he writes to them all and he says, you are a royal priesthood. 
He's not writing to them in recognition of a position that he knows they're already occupied and that, they, uh, that they're, they're already in. He's not writing to a church that he knows and recognizing something within them and saying, oh yeah, you have attained and accomplished all of the qualifications needed to now be known as a priesthood. Congratulations, here's your priest certificate. Now he's introducing them to a new reality that he wants them to live in. Each of these churches that he doesn't know, he's saying, you are priests. So know this. Start to live in this reality of being a priesthood. It's a bit like if a doctor says to you, congratulations, you're going to have a baby. Now, you may not, in that moment, be able to see that anything is different. That this reality might not be obvious to you right now. You might have never thought of yourself as a father. You might, feel, might not feel qualified to be a mother. But this doctor is just kind of unveiling a whole new reality and saying, you need to know that this is true. You're going to have a baby. And you need to start living as though this new reality is true. And that's what Peter's doing here. He's saying, you need to know you are a priesthood. You need to start living as though you are a whole priesthood. This circular letter going to all kinds of different churches in all sorts of different regions, made up of all sorts of different people, all of them. Then you might have just wandered in off the street, been a Christian about three seconds, still trying to get to grips with what this church thing actually is. Peter says, congratulations, you're part of the priesthood. And these churches, they really were made up of all kinds of different people. They were very small churches, typically, in big, highly diverse, pagan cities with so many in them that were so far from God. It's really similar to our situation here in Manchester. And these churches, they did not attract the rich and the powerful. These churches were attracting those who had been pushed out most to the margins of society. The slaves, the women, the ex-convicts, the widows, the poor in that time. People with no prospects. People with no education, no gifting that was considered useful by society, no power whatsoever. It's these that were coming off the street, entering into a church family, hearing this letter read out, saying, you are a priest here. No screening process, no probation period they needed to pass, no CV they had to submit, no competency assessment, no visa application, none of that. Just instead a new reality spoken over them, you are a priest. Chosen by God, favored by God, to have access, to walk right in, to be with him in the holy place. And as a priest, given the honor given the dignity of a role of real value, real significance among God's people. And you're a priest to this slave that has been abused and dehumanized day after day after day. He turns up at church and he's told, you are needed. When he's had the word worthless just spoken over him and spoken over him, he's told now, you are called, you are commissioned, you you are to do now the vital work of God, the work of God that is required to bring God to people and bring people to God. We need you. And just as this letter made its way around the ancient world, going into all kinds of different places, all kinds of different churches, unveiling this new reality of this is what church is, This is who God has made you to be. So it comes to us today. 
coming to us to say, we need to fully live out our calling and who God has made us to be. That this is who God has made us, Revelation Church Manchester, to be. We are a priesthood, which means all of us are priests. Every single one of us, each and every one, called into this position of honor and privilege in the kingdom of God, chosen by him to do his work, commissioned to do this roll-up-your-sleeve, hands-on work of the priest, the real business, the real business of God and building his church. Each one of us vital, each one of us needed to build his kingdom. And I know for some, you hear words like this. You've heard preachers talk like this before. And you just think, okay, I, I agree for everybody else, but not me. Like, this can't be for me. I must fall into some kind of loophole or caveat somewhere. You think, like, maybe if I didn't have yet all of this baggage from the past, that I need to deal with that first. And then maybe once that's sorted, God might be able to find a way to use me. Or maybe you've come from a different country and you think, I'm still adapting, getting used to the language, the culture, the weird mannerisms of British people. Like, why do they keep asking me if I'm all right? Surely I have to adapt. Surely I have to adapt to all of that before God can start to use me. Or maybe you just think, look, I don't think I've got any gifting or any capability. I can't see how I would be of use. This cannot be for me. Well, I'm afraid I can't see any caveats in Peter's writing. He just doesn't have any exclusions or any exceptions. This really is for anybody. For anybody in this room who knows Jesus, who would call Revelation Church their home, whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever language you would be most comfortable speaking, whatever gifting you've got or don't got, whatever, however charismatic or confident you would call yourself, whatever your visa status, whatever your shoe size, whatever your eye color, whatever football team you support, even Arsenal fans welcome here. We are priests. Every one of us. No exclusions. This is who we are. It's almost like Peter's desperate for this church, these churches to get hold of it. Twice in quick succession, he says it. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood, he says in verse 5. And then again in verse 9, he says, you are a royal priesthood. He's like, to flourish as a church, you need to know that this is true. You need to get hold of this as your identity. This is who we are. And this is how we need to know and this is, this is what we need to know, who we are in order to go forward. We are not a people where some people get to do some of the stuff, other people don't. We're not a group where there are some who are set apart and they get to do the real work. You know, maybe the people on the front row, they're the real ones. They get to do the proper stuff. We are not in the Old Testament anymore, you know, where some, a tiny proportion, do all of the work or meant to be more active than others and others are more passive. This is not a place where we just look to the qualified spiritual experts and we're just here for them and like the rest of us are sort of tagging along in their slipstream. No, now we are all invited to be priests in his kingdom. That means you. That means the person next to you. even means the person next to them. Each and every one of us called to be as much priest as anyone else. To carry as much, to have as much to offer, 
to hold as much responsibility. Peter's saying here, the rules of the game have not changed at all. We still need priests, but the dynamic has now shifted that everybody is part of it. And you might be thinking, okay, Duncan, you've really made your point. I'm with you. But why is this so important? Like, why, why does this matter? Because I think when we start to really get to grips with this is who we are, it, when we see that we are priests, and so then when we gather like this on a Sunday or home groups or any other setting, we are gathering as a priesthood, I think it completely changes your mindset and your expectations of what might happen as we get together. That when you step into church on a Sunday and you have any spiritual need whatsoever, you are entering into a room full of priests. I think that situation is just loaded with potential. When you're surrounded by uh, priests that you know throughout this service, when we worship together or hear the sermon or we respond at the end or there's prayer time at the end or even sharing coffee afterwards, I'm surrounded by, I am receiving from, I'm hearing from a whole host, not just of nice Christians, a friendly bunch, but priests, people who God has set apart to do the work of meeting the needs of people like you and me, surrounded by it. I think it means that we start to come with this sense of like joyful expectation of how might God meet my needs today? There's so many people here who he loves to work through and has chosen to do it. And we are surrounded by priests. I think our odds of being blessed are heavily in our favor. And, perhaps even more importantly, when we show up and we know we are priests, I think it changes our mindset of how significant our presence and what we have to bring and us being there could be for everybody else. Every time we turn up, we know, I have got something to offer. I've got something to bring of value. Like the priests in the tabernacle, I have been divinely qualified to give people what they need. This is the assignment that I have been given. I have been called, I have been commissioned by God to have a priestly role, an active role among his people, roll up my sleeves to meet somebody's need for God today. That every moment you then step out in faith, every minute you spend faithfully serving on the setup team, every time you respond to that little prompting inside that you think, I think it might be the Holy Spirit, I don't really know. Every time we do that, we have the potential to bring somebody into closer fellowship with God. It means that when we are worshipping together, we know that what each of us has to bring genuinely has real value for everyone else. I think that gives us a confidence to think, I really will be a blessing in this context. That if I pray out as a priest, my words have genuine potential to be able to illuminate the reality of God for other people in this room. Like, what an opportunity. Like, when I sing out a spiritual song and it is out of key, offbeat, sounded way better in my head, which is a pretty regular experience for me, I know that that song will genuinely bring everybody or, or others in this room into a closer relationship with God in that moment. 
that our worship starts to become like this collective journey that we're all going on together of magnifying God, of exalting God together, entering into his presence as his priesthood. And the action happening, not just at the front or not even just from the front, but the action happening all over the room as different people take steps of faith to lead out, take us on that collective, the next step on that collective journey together. It also changes when we see somebody responding for prayer because we know I am as qualified to go and bless that person and bring the presence of God to that person as anyone else. Because we, loads of us have been here, right? So we've seen somebody who's responding to prayer, uh, for prayer, and we look and we think, I know there are about 50 other people in this room who pray way better prayers than me. They are better, more accomplished prayers. They would do, at least in our eyes anyway, they would do a much better job of serving this people. And we look at the person that is responding for prayer and we, we see them and we see closer to them than me is Johnny Mega Prayers over there. He prays amazing prayers. His prayers are full of truth. They're full of authority and he's closer to them. I'm sure he'll go over and my prayers, they're awkward. I never know what to say. I don't really know how to do it. And so if I was to go over and pray for that person, I would almost be doing them a disservice. Because if I went and prayed, Johnny Mega Prayers might not pray for them. And they'd much rather have him. So it's better for everybody if I just stay here. Now, are some people more experienced prayers than other people? Sure. But what we are seeing here is that God is saying it's not about the most gifted. It's not about the most capable. What we are seeing here is that he has decided to do his strange, mysterious work of blessing his people and bringing his presence to his people through the awkward, faltering obedience of us stepping out in faith, knowing that God will work through us despite our very obvious weaknesses. And I think as this then gets deeper into our culture as a family, I think it just starts to change how we think. Just as the priests in the Old Testament, they shouldered the responsibility of the health of the nation. Each of us as priests, we start to see we have genuine responsibility within this church family for the spiritual health of this church. We start to think, I, I can't just sit back and hope that somebody else will take care of things. But I actually, part of my calling, part of who God has made me to be is to step up, to step forward, take ownership and responsibility where I see a need. That when we see someone struggling, we might think, maybe I could actually help. Maybe what they need is not necessarily someone with loads of experience and pastoral gifting. Maybe actually someone like me could reach out with a text message and, and grab a coffee with that person. Maybe that would actually serve them. That when someone tells you they're sick, after our Sunday meeting, you don't just feel sympathetic, which is a good start, but you start to think, hang on a second, I'm a priest, and this person's got a need. Maybe God could actually use me to heal that person. And we pray for them. Maybe they get healed, maybe they don't. But suddenly, what you start to see is the priestly work of the church being done, not just by a few, but starting to take place all over the room taking initiative, giving things a go, making some mistakes for sure, but growing as a people. This is the culture that we as a leadership team, we would really love to see in this family. 
that the leadership team would exist, yeah, to, to support and encourage and help, but that we would each of us see that this is our role, this is our calling, to take a vital place in the health of the church, called to, by God to take some ownership of it, to think someone here needs me today and what I've got to bring, so I'm going to come ready to bring it. And I recognize this might seem a bit intimidating to some. You think, what if I step out and make a mistake? What if I make a fool of myself? I am not going to lie, that is an occupational hazard. But I do think this is what most of us are looking for in our faith. This is what we long for in our lives. We don't just want to be uh, passive. We don't want life to just happen to us. We don't want to be out there on the edges and on the fringes. We want to roll up our sleeves. We want to get our hands messy a little bit. We want a space that we can take ownership of, where we can genuinely make our mark and impact the lives of those around us. What better opportunity than the opportunity of being able to bring people into closer relationship with God? That is the invitation. And if you do, you will be stepping out among fellow priests. There are so many in the church already that are embodying this. People who see needs and willingly step up and just start serving quietly and and fulfilling that need or doing random acts of kindness just to bless people because they felt some small prompting to do it or taking initiative and just meeting up with someone regularly for prayer over coffee. Already this is part of who we are and I know so many are living it and hopefully this just for the first time perhaps just put some language to who we are and who we want to be, to kind of just cement it as this is our priority. We, this is, we've got to keep pushing into this. Because our calling, and I think this is going to be the challenge, is that we continue to press into it, even as numbers start to grow. To not just sit back, even as our numbers increase. And it just starts to become much easier to think, oh, I could pray out in worship, or I could sign up for the kids' team, but you know, there's a lot of people here. I'm sure someone else will do it. But instead to think, no, no, there's more people, there's more ministries, there's more opportunities to bless other people, there's more needs that I could meet. And as a priesthood, we also then see that as we work together, we can reach a city like Manchester. That's part of what Peter's trying to encourage. The original priests, they were there to simply, their role was to bring God to the nation of Israel. But Peter here is saying, I'm expanding out that role. Your job now is to bring God to the nations of the world. To a church, these churches generally discouraged, weary, and not seeing the gospel advance that they long to see in their city. He says, you are a royal priesthood. And he continues in verse 9 and says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Saying you're a priesthood, so that you may preach the gospel in this city. This image of a tent in Isaiah 54 was always, is always about us strengthening so that we can embrace the world around us. That's us. As we strengthen as disciples, as we get hold of this more and more, that we are priests, we are strengthened to go out into the city. See that we are priests wherever we go. We're given access to God so that we can share God with others through our words, through our actions, through our deeds. As we keep showing up as priests, we bring God to people, we bring people to God. So this is going to continue to be our focus for this coming year, 
living in this identity, this new reality, if you like, of being a priesthood. I've laid a bit of a foundation stone, I think, this morning, something that we can just keep drawing on, keep referring back to, keep building on over the year. We're going to try and make it as accessible as possible to grow in gifting and be able to step out. We'll do a teaching series on worship and what that looks like and how to get involved in that. We'll speak on serving. We'll speak on giving. We'll feed it into home groups. It'll be all through our church life. We're hoping to launch a practical discipleship course with another church in the city doing that together to keep building us up. Um, And so stay tuned on that. But we are looking to embody all that God has made us to be. And so today, I do want to give an option if you're like, yes, I really want to get involved in this. Like, give me something, particularly if you're a bit newer and you're like, how can I just start to get involved in this? Well, a great way is to um, find out more and perhaps sign up or declare some interest in one of our serving teams. And so we're going to have a QR code appear on the screen. There you go. You might think scanning a QR code, least spiritual act possible. But this is actually a brilliant way of stepping into having a role, an active role within our church family, taking some responsibility. So we'll leave this up after the meeting, scan it at your leisure, fill in the form, and we'll be in touch. Let me finish by praying. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God who has been actively at work among us. That before we think of taking any more active ownership over our church family, we recognize, God, that you are the one who has been at work in us. We thank you so much for all of the things that we can look back on over just this last year. And then if we expand that out to all that you've done through our four and a half years as a church, you are a faithful God, the faithful God that we've been singing about today. And God, we thank you that that gives us confidence of all that is ahead. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help each of us see this reality that you have made us to be, that we are priests in your church. We've been given the dignity of a a part to play, all of us with something genuine to offer, something valuable to offer to other people in this church family. We thank you that, that, that none of us can count ourselves out of that. We thank you that you raise us up and lift us up, whoever we are, wherever we've come from, however we're seen in the world, in the church, you call us priests. And we thank you then the dynamic that that creates when we know we are gathering as a priesthood that each of us has to offer. We bless one another, we bless one another, we bless one another. Everyone having their needs met by many looking to step out in faith. And I pray, God, that you would be giving us the confidence and the boldness by your Spirit, even now, just be starting to work in our hearts. It is so much easier to not step out, to make ourselves vulnerable. But God, we thank you for how you have designed your church. We thank you that there's so much joy, so much life to be found if, it, as we respond to your call, your promptings. Help us to be a people who see needs within our church family. Help us to then step into those needs, taking responsibility, working alongside others to see the life of God at work in our church, we pray. And we also pray then that that would lead to us reaching out into the city that we would know we are priests not just when we gather together, but we are priests going out into the world wherever we are with the honor and the joy of getting to share the good news of Jesus wherever we go. 
In the name of Jesus, would you be at work in us, we pray. Amen.